but who disdains deserving punishment will be beaten only a little. Much will be demanded from everyone who has been given much, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be asked. Wow, great. <clears throat> so let me give you some instruction. We'll get to the scripture in a minute, but let me give you some instruction. If you believe that you're going to listen and apply the teaching this morning, listen. If you think you're going to listen and not do it, don't listen. Because the scripture is real clear. If you listen and you know this, you're going to get beat with more stripes than if you never heard it. So if, if you don't think you're going to do it, I just, I just go ahead and leave right now. I think that's what the scripture says. That was really funny. I, I think you didn't get it. The, the scripture says if you know this and you don't do it, you'll get beat with a lot of stripes. But if you don't know it, you'll just get beat with a few. So I'm suggesting some of you may want to leave so you don't even get this teaching. So you won't get beat as much when it's all said and done. But I guess it, if you'd got it the first time, it would have been really funny. Well, never mind. Okay. Let, let's talk about uh, responsibility. Let me, uh, let me give a definition. Um, <clears throat> these are several definitions. Uh, the first one is liable to be called on to answer. Liable to be called on to answer. Liable to be called to account as the primary cause, motive, or a um, person responsible for the job. Number two, being the cause or ex explanation liable to legal review. The state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over someone. The state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. <coughs> a moral obligation to behave correctly towards or in respect of. The opportunity or ability to act independently and take decisions without authorization. And so when I you know, think back through those, the, you, you can think of responsibility in several ways. But I think, number one, whose fault is this? You know, All right, who was responsible for this? You think, well, whose fault was it, right? You're responsible for it. Or, more positively, if there's something that needs to be done, who is supposed to make this happen? So we think of it in terms of results, whose fault was it? But then we also think of it in terms of who is the person who's going to make sure this gets done? And a responsible person is a person who has consistently gotten the job done, whatever that job is. Does that make sense? Anybody else want to fill out our understanding of what responsibility is? Anybody else have, have one of those catchy phrases? Or a deep thought, either one? Catchy phrase, deep thought. Anybody? What was that, Josh? 
Oh, you expected Mark to say something? Well, why don't you take responsibility for yourself and you say something? Why are you always expecting somebody else to? No. Okay, so, so basically our understanding is, you know, Truman said the buck stops here. On one side it said, I'm from Missouri. On the other side it said, the buck stops here. Uh, and, you know, you've heard of passing the buck. When you pass the buck, it means it wasn't my fault, somebody else's fault, he did it. Uh, but Truman said the buck stops here. I take responsibility for it. All right. So with that sort of understanding of responsibility, the first thing that I'd like to point out is who do you think is mostly responsible? God. Everything that goes on, God's responsible for it. He takes full responsibility for every single thing that happens. Everything. God takes full responsibility. There is nothing that could come to pass unless God allowed it to happen. And he makes decisions that are tough. People get hurt. People die. People don't get what they want. And God says, that's all right. The buck stops here. I know what I'm doing. And I'm making the choices that best serve my creation. And so as you go through the Bible, you run into all of these different verses. Let me, let me share a few. Psalm 121.3. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. God takes great responsibility over your life. When it's all said and done, he is going to give full account for the way he treated you. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And you can go on and on with scriptures. You know, he, I, I call it to rain on the just and the unjust. <clears throat> remember when? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, remember when uh, Moses was contending with God? I think they were talking about it at the table this morning. Listen to what he says to God. <clears throat> or maybe, no, no, this was when he was with uh, Abraham. I'm sorry. I got Genesis and Exodus mixed up again. This is back, well, I did it at the table. But the, this is when he was talking to Abraham uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says to him, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is going to go down and he's going to destroy this city. Abraham has this conversation with God based in what? God, you're responsible for this. It is going to reflect on you. And shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And God is like, yeah. I'll do right. Let's discuss this. Let's figure out what is the right thing to do. And then we'll go do it. So I wanted to start by just uh, <clears throat> mentioning and, and getting you to think a second about who is ultimately responsible. 
You know, we talk about the, the problem of evil. God, the buck stops with him. What goes on in the earth that is evil, the way God has allowed that to happen, when we all stand before him, he'll say, yeah, that's what I did. And he'll explain to you exactly why it was the righteous thing to do. And he is not afraid to make the tough decisions. Can you imagine having to send somebody to hell for eternity? God is going to sit as judge, and he is going to say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What great responsibility he has. He has responsibility for the eternal, the eternal destination of every man, woman, and child. And he will give an account of himself for it, and it will be right because he's God. And he knows exactly what needs to be done. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that scary? Alright, so, but the other thing God is, is He's a Father. And in eternity, we're, you know, we're memorizing Ephesians, and it says that one of the ways that He expresses His, his great uh, love to us, one of the things that expresses God's love to us is that He, he predetermined in, in eternity, before time began, or before our history began, I don't want to say things that can be theological. Out there somewhere, God, He determined one thing, that you are going to be conformed to the image of His Son. See, He and Christ bore this responsibility before we, we were, before man was ever created. But the Bible says that God, in love, predetermined, not that you were going to be a fish, not that you were going to be... Uh, an incipient being, not that you were going to be uh, just simply uh, a part of a suit that evolved into rationality, but he had his own son in mind when he created you. Everything that's in a father toward a son was in God toward Christ, and they refocused that on you. And he is determined, and he has taken responsibility, and he's told you this. I, I am going to conform you into the image of my son. And so God himself has taken responsibility for your life. And his goal, his end goal, is that you would be in the very image of Christ. Make sense? Now, God the Father and God the Son have taken full responsibility for you. And they're going to perfect you into their image. Now, how do you suppose they might want to do that? By beginning to share responsibility with you. Little by little, giving you responsibility and calling you to take that responsibility and for you to bear, to bear the responsibility, to bear the judgment for what happens with that area of the earth. Wow. He's wanting to graft us in to his responsibility. And so we are all given places of responsibility. And if you think about it, we've been going through Genesis, and our theme has been blessing. The, one of the primary themes through Genesis is blessing. It begins, God creates Adam and Eve, and he blesses them and tells them to multiply 
and to do what? To take responsibility for the earth. To organize it according to his direction. Then he redoes it with Noah. What does he do? It blesses him, tells him to be fruitful, to fill the earth again. Then everybody knows Genesis 12, 15. He comes to, to, to Abraham, or Abram at that point, and says, look, I'm going to bless you. I take responsibility. I look. I see. I bless you. I give you what I'm your father. I give you what you need. Now, son, I want you to give the rest of the world what they need. And at the end of the book, it's real interesting. We have Israel, the nation. Jacob becomes Israel. And then Israel does what? He blesses his 12 sons. He sort of demonstrates how I, as a father now, impart to my sons the grace they need to do the part that they're supposed to do. This is a father's heart. Son, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. In love, he predestined that we would be conformed to his image. By the way, just to be a little bit uh, theological, we need to really reclaim a joy in predestination as Arminians. We need to declare boldly that we believe in predestination and help the world understand what that is. There's a thing called election. There's a thing called foreknowledge. Those are two things. That is not predestination. Look in your Bible. you find predestination in two places. Here in Ephesians and over in Romans chapter 8. It has to do with this. What was God's intention for people who would come into the kingdom of God? Well, before he started it all, he predetermined that they would be brought up into the image of his son. We believe in predestination. We believe that the eternal will of God has always been that all of us who find ourselves in Christ would end up in his image. Hallelujah. We believe in predestination. And so because of the way this thing plays out in Genesis, it is really big in the Father's heart that you would take on responsibility with him and that you would begin to mature into the kind of person. Listen, we're going to graduate. This is going to end. And we're going to become <clears throat> spiritual beings with a resurrected body. We will no longer be confined to the restraints that we have here. And God is going to release us into eternity. And if God the Father and Son in eternity decided... To create all of this and take responsibility for it. To maintain it and to, to nourish it up into his image. I wonder what we're going to be doing with him. Have you ever stopped and thought what you're going to do in heaven? I know we're going to be worshiping God. But, but I think a lot of our worship of God up there is going to be like our worship down here. 40 hours a week you worship God at, at, at the job or 50. That is your reasonable worship as you live your life out there. And so we're going to be doing amazing things. But what is God wanting to do before we get to heaven? He's wanting to mature us in responsibility. To mature us in taking... Uh, I, can, I, I don't have a good... Uh, is there a good synonym to responsibility? Ownership. Ownership? Oh, yeah. Uh, ownership. He wants to mature us so that we take ownership of the responsibility 
<laughs> that he gives us. <clears throat> All right. So let's go on to the, the, the parable uh, in Luke 12, 41 through 48. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, you speak this parable to us or, or everybody. And, and the Lord said, who is the faithful and wise steward? I guess steward or stewardship would be a, another uh, somewhat of a synonym. Uh, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. All right, we read through this earlier, and I, I just have a question. Raise your hand. How many of you all really keyed in on it, and at the end of it, you're like, yeah, God's promises are so awesome. Or how many of you keyed in on, oh, man, I need to be a better steward. Because he addresses two different kinds of people here. First of all, he says, look, God wants to give us responsibility and we have the joy of engaging his work. And when we do it, that is where we find joy. That's where we find happiness. Hallelujah. That should be our ongoing testimony. And when you read this parable... It should hit you. Yeah, it has been so awesome for God to, to, to first give me a job, then give me a wife, then give me kids, and then give me a home group, and then make me part of a leadership team. And wow, I'm engaged. This is awesome. And Lord, teach me how to better fulfill all of these things. That should be your testimony. And it is the testimony of a lot of guys sitting here. But some guys get stuck in this whirlpool where they can never grow up and engage the responsibility. And I'm, I'm going to talk about why that might happen with some of us. And so they get stuck in the last part, which I'll go ahead and read again. But if that servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder. You don't want to be cut in sunder. And will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And then it goes on and talks about the ones who know as well and the ones who don't. Anybody here feel like you get stuck in that? That you have all this, quote, responsibility, and you never get around to it? And it just piles up on top of you. You scoot it by the side. And then it finally gets so big you move on to another place. Don't raise your hand. You shouldn't live there. You don't have to live there. This should caution all of us. But it really shouldn't convict us. And so I've found over the years that there are people that keep getting convicted about these sorts of things. But in their conviction, they don't go on to godly sorrow. They don't go on to the, the place of true repentance. They just get guilty, <laughs> convicted, I'm wrong. And they never find a way out of it. You know what I wish we could do as men, as a church? I wish we could help guys who get stuck being poor stewards get out of it. And get on this joyful road of engaging the work, being successful in God, 
because if you are in God, you are successful. Because we get a lot of burnt stones that end up at the church. Guys who just never seem to be able to get past whatever it is that keeps them from engaging the work and being successful with friends, family, job, outreach to other people. And I think a lot of it has to do with what has happened to us as men in regard to taking responsibility. Make sense? How many of you think you know somebody that is stuck in, what's the place, where, where did Peter Pan live? Neverland. Neverland. It's, it's called a syndrome, the, the, the Peter Pan syndrome. Guys who never grow up. They don't want to take responsibility, they just want to play. I think, I think God has given us wisdom about why that has happened. Uh, I think it comes from the Bible. The Bible says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And why do perilous times come? Does anybody remember? Because men shall be what? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And I think that is probably one of the central problems in, in men today. They love pleasure more than they love God. And I think it all started when they were little kids. Fathers did not have time to train their sons to work. And so they entertained them with pleasure. They wet their palate for pleasure. And they were led by their passions rather than discipline them into labor so that they had the self-control to choose to do the loving thing. And, and, and in that, let me make this clear. Responsibility is not motivated by passion. It's motivated by love. And what a lot of churches have done, what a lot of institutions have done, what a lot of organizations have done, they have tried to appeal to people's passions to motivate them to do their end goal. But God calls us to righteousness and an act of the will that embraces the cross for the good of the other person. Hallelujah. Does that make sense? You can be passionate about Christ. That's okay. But in, in regard to our actions and our choices and what we choose to do, it can't always be because our natural passions are stirred up. And if you create an institution that motivates by natural passion, guess what? You have to keep feeding that passion. Or people will find another place that fulfills their passion. Okay, and I'm talking about the passions of the flesh. What is desirable to the flesh. Whether it's a soft seat or ambiance or lights that don't buzz, you know? Yeah. Everybody wants to fix these buzzing lights. I'm like, no, if people love God, they need to come and they need to be able to sit and listen to the lights buzz. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference between a, a person who is continually motivated because the marketing systems of our churches, uh, our, our uh, businesses, 
our economy, has learned how to tap into your own self, less of the flesh, less of the eyes, most of the pride of life, and motivated you in that way. Men who live the life of a steward, faithfully doing what God's called them to do, are men who hear God and choose to do it because they love God and they love their fellow man. And if you'll go back and you'll just review 1 Corinthians 13, love is a choice. Love is when I choose to do what is best for you. And so I think what happened, I think what happened in America is with the Industrial Revolution, there was no longer a need. You know, back in the late 1800s, guess how many hours a week people, the average work week was? Yeah, it, it, it was about 80 hours a week. People worked 80 hours a week. They had to work to produce enough to sustain their life. But the Industrial Revolution came along, and it made it possible for people to be productive enough in 40 hours that they could meet their own needs. So what were they given? They were given 40 hours where they could choose to do what they needed to do. Now, before they had to work 80 hours a week in order to survive. Now they could work 40 hours a week and survive. Now they were set free. They were set free to use 40 hours however God intended for them to use it. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant, which, um, uh, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him as a portion with the unbelievers. What happened is with those extra 40 hours, because it was not necessary to survive, people began to think, I think I'll fish more. But here's the problem with it. Now, in this time that you live, everybody is trying to find out how we can raise our kids and keep them entertained. It's not teaching them how to work by our side to produce for the good of other people. It's, I need to, I need to make sure I'm keeping my kids happy. I, I need to make sure they're involved in activities that, that they enjoy. And so we spend all of this time training our kids to love pleasure rather than to embrace the call on their life. And so before the Industrial Revolution, when we were agricultural, and, and, and I'm not saying this in a condemning way or an accusative way, I'm saying we're duped. <laughs> and we've got to figure out with our kids how to train them in such a way that they're productive members of the kingdom of God. Especially in youth group kinds of things. We, you know, we talk about youth group all the time. Making a place where our kids come together with their fathers and they engage the word of God. 
And it's not just a place to keep them happy in a church thing so they feel good about church. Again, that is training your children to be led by their passions as opposed to teaching them how to love God and to embrace His purposes. But anyway, back to us, okay? Here's, here's some things about responsibility that I think give some insight. Number one, personal responsibility begins from the inside and moves outward. We must begin by taking responsibility for our thoughts, choices, and reactions. Then we can be responsible for the circumstances we create in our world. And so if you're not taking responsibility for your own mind, see, you don't have to. There's no real tangible consequences from other people. But those consequences ultimately play out later on. So the first thing we have to do is to say, I am responsible for the way I think. My master is not here. Really, he is. But he's going to return, and I will give an account. And really, my life, my life will give account for what I think. Number two, we have the divine gift of free will. We make conscious choices as spiritual, yet living in a physical world. Conscious choice is a gift that carries great responsibility. And this goes back to the fact that God is going to be accountable for everything that goes on. He's going to be accountable for evil. How can God give an account to mankind for allowing evil to take place? It's pretty simple. The only way that you can come into the image of God is if you have free will. And so it's like when you send your teenager out with a car and your teenager wrecks the car. Ultimately, you are the one and you can be taken to court if they're under 21. If they kill somebody, they can come after you because your son or your daughter killed another person. Yet, all year long, we begin to release our sons and daughters into automobiles because we are willing to take on the responsibility and the accountability to give them the opportunity to grow up. God has entrusted us with responsibility. And He knows that some of us are going to abuse that responsibility and beat other servants and just party down but because he loves his sons and daughters enough that he wants them to come into his image, he is going to take responsibility for that. But he will hold us responsible as sons and daughters. And so with free will comes great responsibility and great joy. Have you ever seen a, a, a car? Go, well, you watch JP's truck. It, it, it's, you go out there. What's, what's the name of your company? Jay Parrish. Jay Parrish what? Professional Builders. Jay Parrish Professional Builders. I'll guarantee you, 15 years from now, you'll see more trucks driving around. They'll, it'll say, Jay Parrish and Sons Professional Builders. Because that's what fathers love. 
You see those kind of trucks all over town and sons. There's, there's nothing that brings any greater joy to a father than to know that his sons are carrying on the business and they're doing it in a way that, that enlarges the family's name. That is one of the best pictures of God as father that you'll ever get. His delight and his joy is to add your name to the business. God and sons. Professional human beings. You know. uh, that is really his desire. That's his joy. He had one thing that he wanted to do, and that was it. Is to bring us into the family business. And so with this free will that he's given us comes this great responsibility. And so if, if you take that parable that we, shared, that we read and, and look at what happened to that steward. He no longer had responsibility. He, he just kept putting it off. There was no inner, inner discipline. And so what did he do? With everything that he'd been given... He was supposed to be feeding other people, right? This goes right back to the blessings of Abraham, uh, Noah, and Adam. He had been given everything he needed to do what? To help all of the other servants come into what God, or the Master, wanted them to do. But instead of translating his life, his free time, his extra, into building up the brothers, what did he do? He oppressed them. He wasn't to them what they needed. And then he took it. And what did he do with it? He partied. He partied. He lived a life of pleasure. And I think the number one problem with us taking responsibility is as soon as we take responsibility for one more thing, it takes away our freedom to pursue pleasure. And I think we live in a very stressful time. It says in latter days, stressful or perilous times will come because we will love pleasure more than we love God. And so we have to take responsibility and as a choice of our will, rearrange our life around understanding God's call to our wives, to our children, to our job, and then being faithful there he releases us to take greater responsibility in the kingdom of God, become home fellowship leaders, uh, elders, team members that take on responsibility to do even bigger projects and, and, uh, and, and bring the kingdom. Does that make sense? So responsibility. Let me see if I got anything else in my notes. Well, I had this verse I was going to share, and it's, it's, uh, it's out of order, but I'll go ahead and share it anyway. Uh, it's in uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So just very quickly, that says, if you have somebody in your life that's responsible to disciple you, you should pay attention to what they're telling you. 
And that's not the point that I want to make. The point I want to make is that, you know why? Because they're going to have to give an account to God for your life. Isn't that an amazing picture? God is going to give an accountability for your life. Whatever happens in your life, when you stand before God, He will be completely accountable for it. And here's the thing. He has been absolutely faithful to His side. And there will be no accusation of God. Any evil, anything that went wrong in our lives, we will not be able to blame Him because He gave us every opportunity to not do wrong. And so... He's also given us as men responsibility now to do the same thing. To be accountable to Him for what goes on in the lives of other people. And I think a lot of times we think pastor. But it's not pastor. Every man is supposed to make disciples. Every man is supposed to get to the place that he takes responsibility for other men. And gives an account to God for how he cared for those people. And that's such a picture of what God wants to bring us into because it's what he's in. It's him being accountable to us. So, you can go away from this with two or three points. One point you could go away with would be, boy, I'm, I'm not a very good steward. I'm not very accountable. I just use all my free time to, you know, read the books I want to read or listen to the music I want to listen to. Or you could go away saying, I'm glad I didn't listen because I don't want to be accountable. <laughs> or you could go away and you could say, isn't this awesome? This is what we're doing. Little by little, God's giving us more and more and we are engaging His purposes and being faithful and learning how to, to live a life of stewardship where the better we get at stewarding, the more responsibility God gives us. And I think that's where a lot of us are. I, over the last couple of years, it's been such a joy to see guys mature and step up and say, you know, I'm facing the challenges in my family. It's awesome. I'm facing the challenges at work. Uh, I feel like God is using me there. And, and I think I've matured. Let me go ahead and engage and be part of one of the teams to take care of some other men now. Uh, and I think if you're not there, listen, it says you'll be happy if you get there. All right? But more important, and, and I think this is the most important thing I want everybody to go away with. God's responsible. God has taken absolute responsibility for your life. You have a father on the other side of this with all knowledge, all wisdom, all authority, every right, and all power. And he has said, I take responsibility for your life. And I am going to give you everything you need to live godly and righteously and to accomplish your purposes. And as you concentrate on that, as you rest in that, it changes you. It gives you a confidence that you are fathered by someone. You've got the genetics. You've got the grace. You've got the blessing that's necessary to do what you need to do. And it's always got to come back to knowing him more fully and more deeply. If you just 
I think a lot of the guys that have a problem is they're always looking inward and realizing that they cannot do what they know God wants them to do. You got to look outward. You got to look upward. You got to look to God. And you've got to see Him seeing Christ in you. And you've got to put your faith in the fact that God Himself has birthed you by the Holy Spirit. And he, He's going to get what He wants. <laughs> he predetermined that's what He wanted. And He is never going to quit moving you to that end. And so don't relate to Him like He's frustrated. God doesn't get frustrated. Don't don't shrink away from the Father and feel like a failure and live in that failure. But turn to the Father who said, no, you're my son, and I don't care what happens. I paid my other son for you, and I've predetermined that I'm going to perfect you into the image and full adoption into my kingdom. Does that make sense? Go away with that. Ponder where you are in your own responsibility. But go away with this. God is very responsible for your life. All right. Any thoughts? One thing that came to my mind, I think it was Andy that said ownership. Was it you? Uh-huh. Was I actually had in my mind possession. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to see that what we possess, we're responsible for we know we're responsible for our vehicle or if we have a home. We don't expect somebody else is going to put the mulch out. But God, all the way back to the garden, gave the world to us. Yeah. He gave the world to his children. It's what they possess. Yeah. And through that, we're responsible for this world. Mm-hmm. We're not responsible for the little tiny little view of what we want to say we own. We possess this world and we're responsible for this world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the quote. Desires and pleasures actively war against myself, choking away, bringing conflict, and ultimately slavery. But I instead submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing suffering and martyrdom in fellowship with in union with Christ and in fellowship with him is true bliss for the disciples. Did you just make that up, or? Uh, I still need to piece it together. It's good. You want to do it one more time? Desires and pleasures actively war against myself, choking the word, bringing conflict, and ultimately slavery. But I instead submit to the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that suffering and martyrdom in fellowship in union with Christ and in fellowship with them is complete bliss for the disciple. Mm. Any other thoughts? Okay, for you guys that are in teams and, and you got one of those guys, one of those guys that's just stuck in that circle, 
I think a lot of times we, we, we step on them rather than throw them a preserver when we just communicate to them that they need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, learn to bring them to the Father. Learn to help them deepen communion with Him. Learn to help guys who live in constant failure to get out of their, their prison of introspection. And to turn to the Father and to really revel in what He has said about them and to begin to receive and walk in faith. Does that make sense? We've got to learn to do that. I've got to learn to do that. It's easy to get fed up with a guy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A guy that... Yeah, we did this last six months. Every six months it comes back around. And you want to just slam them and say, just grow up. Uh, but a lot of times we need to be that brother uh, that sacrifices our life for them so they can see the love of the Father and, uh, and, and reconnect them to that thing that, that really exists. Really All right. Ben, any any final words? Okay. All right. Um, find a brother and love him. Pray for him. We'll do that in closing. So you turn to a guy. Put your hand on his shoulder. It's not hard to find. It's probably going to be within three minutes.